Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you, Dick Warren. That's, uh, that's the voice of somebody that I knew and loved very much, and I appreciate him uh, recording that so we can keep him with us in our hearts and minds forever. Hello, my dear listener. Thank you. My name is Christopher McCollum. This is The Coaching Show, and I thank you for listening this week and every week. We bring you people out on the cutting edge of coaching, doing something interesting or just plain wacky uh, right here on Accomplishment Media or wherever you're listening to your uh, podcast these days. Let's talk about things coming up. Um, we've got the, I guess the Capital Coaches Conference is complete now. So the last major conference that I'm aware of is in October, the ICF Converge Conference. If you hadn't heard about this, you need to check it out at coachfederation.org. And if you're hemming and hawing, I know some of the presenters this year, and it's going to be an extraordinary conference in Prague, Czechoslovakia. So if you've been looking for a tax deductible reason to go to Prague, there it is. Um, and that'll be uh, in October. Then again, in uh, January, we sort of start with the, the wintertime uh, conference schedules. And I know there are some. ICF Toronto, I think, is having theirs in March. So uh, lots of things coming up. Please check them out and get out there and talk to coaches. All right. In studio today, we have a guest that some of you have wondered about because he's been our guest co-host on many, a, many an episode. And I, we're going to spend the entire hour today speaking with, or spocking, with Alex Terranova. Alex is a Dream Mason, a performance and mindfulness coach, and the host of the Dream Mason podcast. His work is to build strong and successful men and support them in boldly declaring what they want, get real about what's in the way, and create the strategy and the steps for more clarity, freedom, and success in their lives. He's been on lots of things, including the Sovereign Society podcast, Love Living Radio, Focus TV's Good Morning La La Land, and more. You can connect with him on Instagram and on his website and YouTube and anywhere uh, by going to thedreammason.com. Welcome to our microphone, Alex Terranova. Hello, sir. Did someone say pancakes? <laughs> someone said pancakes when I got here. <laughs> uh, try and focus, Alex. We're talking about, <laughs> we're interviewing <laughs> you now. Pancakes. Um, how are you doing, Christopher? I'm really good. Uh, what what we should tell people is that we actually know each other for a few a couple of years now. Is it two? Uh, no, like we're in like the fifth year of our relationship. I clearly did not pay attention the first <laughs> <Yeah>. two. Uh, <laughs> and you are a, you are a coach in your own right as well as a, a creator of your own empire. Um, here's one of the things though. You and I disagree uh, on a fundamental point when it comes to podcasting, and that point is people's origin stories. I've listened to your podcast <laughs> and you love to talk to people about their journey. I hate that. Tell me why it's a good idea. Well, I don't know if it's a good idea. I My thing is that when I hear people's origin stories, it actually is the thing that connects with me. Their vulnerability saying, you know, where they came from, what they overcome, you know, whether it's uh, things externally, um, you know, no money, bad parents, uh, the environment, politics, religion, whatever, or the things internally, you know, uh, issues with learning or emotional issues. Um, those things connect with me and it reminds me like, wait, I'm not alone in, in my stuff that if they did it, I can do it. Okay. So you find the vulnerability and the authenticity, a pretty important component of getting to know somebody. Yeah, and I think maybe it's because of like the the differences in the worlds that we grew up in. You know, I feel like since I, as I've 
moved more and more into my adulthood, you know, like the last year or so. Um, the world that I live in is focused on the, you know, that image of the ice of the iceberg, right? And we right. see the peak and it's like all the great stuff, but no one sees all the things beneath, like everything they've done and all the hard work and all the hours. I think the world that we live in now is like that is, is only that peak to the extreme. And we look on our social media, we look at TV, we look at, at every, books even, and that's what we see is like all the highlights, all the accomplishments, all the winning. And then we forget that these people didn't just say, oh, I want to be an actor and do it overnight or a singer and do it overnight or a coach and do it overnight. They probably spent years and years and years. And then we judge ourselves to their, their yeah, their highlight reel and we're judging our real life and so I like hearing that because it rem I think it's a reminder that we didn't start at the peak. We actually had to build up to that. I feel like you're I feel like so many people discount the hard work the Kardashians have done to get to where they No. No, that didn't happen. Yeah, I mean <laughs> you know I look I wouldn't mind to have the wealth that they have built. Um would I want a camera following me around for the last what almost probably 15 years? I mean, I don't know, like but I mean, I don't know. We don't know them. What if they're super happy? <laughs> like, that's what I want. Like, if they're super happy and they're fulfilled, and when they die, they're like, "We did exactly what we wanted to do." Then good for them. Nice. That's a very charitable attitude. Uh, just before we started, uh, Adam caught our our hiding in the background producer talked about um, how Instagram is about to change their relationship with a bunch of their influencers. You're a social media guy. You came up in a time of social media. What's the uh, what's your what sort of relationship do you have with social media? <laughs> For a long time, I hated social media because I felt like if you weren't famous or if you weren't a beautiful woman in a bikini, it was basically impossible to get followers. And then I actually started to meet people who were neither of those things and built incredible online followings. And they would always say, you know, provide value, provide value, provide value. I think I do that and I still don't have as many followers as I like. Uh, I think social media is frustrating because on a personal level, I actually don't want to be on it. I find it as the, you know, our ego, um, whatever we want to call that automatic auto, you know, survival device that we have inside of us that like distracts us and, and kind of runs us. I find that social media like just like leeches off that thing. And so I will we'll be on Facebook, we'll be on Instagram and we're not doing the things we want to be doing. We're not in our commitments. We're like getting our life sucked away. But then we have this thing like, Oh, we need it for our business. And we're like stuck in this weird middle place where like, I don't want it personally. I wish it was off my phone. I never had to do it. I would be so much happier. And yet there's this pull that like, Hey, you have, this is the world we live in. I have to have it for business. So I have mixed feelings. And to say that I've never been, I've never made money from Instagram, never gotten a client from Instagram. Uh, when I meet new coaches and they're like, but what about my marketing plan and Instagram? And I got to hire an Instagram coach and a right. Facebook coach. I laugh because I'm like, yeah, maybe there are people that do that, but I've never personally met, well, maybe one out of hundreds of coaches. Um, so I wish it would all go away and we could just be humans with each other again for real. Well, it's interesting because uh, who I know you to be is a is a man of integrity, right? One of the things that I'm always uh, grateful for and impressed by is that you pretty much walk your talk. 
And when you don't, you're authentic about that. So what are you doing on social media if you don't believe in it? That's a good question. Um, finally, one good question. <laughs> I've been doing this 17 years, people. Take a note. <laughs> you finally got it. Um, that's the peak of the pinnacle, right? This right. Time. And um, you were here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, I think it's not... Maybe I shared it wrong. It's not that I don't believe in it because there are people that build businesses. There are people that get inspired. Um, I guess, I think the thing is I want to be able to, when I when I signed up for accomplishment coaching five years ago and, and started that process, you know, I was exploring. I was looking at lots of different things and I didn't know. You don't, you know, it's like the, your first day anywhere in a new industry, you don't know all that's available and you start like, oh, I like this. I like this. I like this. And one of the things that became really clear to me is I wanted to impact people through media. So through podcasts, through documentaries, through books, um, that just being with people one-on-one -on -one as coach client wasn't going to be the thing that at the end of my life I would be like, oh, yes, I had a million clients, there would be something that I felt like I didn't express myself. And that's the creative piece. Um, social media, I think, lends itself to that. Um, but it's, maybe it's just I don't, I don't know how to do it in a way that I am actually fulfilled in it. That's the thing I think I'm the most challenged by is I, I create content, I try to share it there, I try to share there, but it doesn't seem like, it's like Battleship. I'm like saying the letters right, and you're like, nope, too, right? nope, and I'm like, are there any pegs on your board? <laughs> are you just messing with me? <laughs> Did you put those ships in your pocket? Right. That, that's that's how I. I mean, that's that's how I feel about it. Is it's like what I, regardless of what I try, it misses. And I know a lot of brilliant coaches with brilliant messages that are putting great content that actually feel the same way. Um, and then there's people out there that are rehashing the same old things all the time, but they got fancy marketing or fancy, you know, people behind computers doing editing and it seems like they got a lot of, a lot of big freight train behind them. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm jealous. Maybe. I noticed that there's a lot of focus on success for you. Do you feel successful? No. <laughs> um, you know, I, I sat the other morning, I, um, I really like to generate my mornings. So if I have something like this, I don't want to just wake up and show up here. To me, that's like irresponsible. So uh, I had a... So you stopped for creamer. <laughs> yeah. No, but like I like this morning I wake up, I, I make sure I have some time. I went to yoga. I make sure I have some time in between. I get... I do love to have a delicious like cup of coffee in the morning. It, you know, I want to start my my day on, on in those things. If I don't go to yoga, maybe it's meditation or the gym. But I... Um, about a week ago, I was sitting in, uh, I went to the gym before I went to my networking group early in the morning. So my networking group is at like 6.30 a.m. I went to the gym before that, and I found time to hop in the jacuzzi and meditate in the jacuzzi in, the, in between the gym. And, and as I opened Kids my- Kids don't, don't meditate in the jacuzzi at home. <laughs> and as I opened my eyes, I looked up and it was like just a shot of a palm tree with a light shining onto it and then the moon above it. And I got really clear in that moment, for whatever reason, that every decision that I had made my whole life added up to that moment. That one different decision, I'm not sitting there looking up at that palm tree. And I, for me, this is really rare because I spend most of my time beating myself up. Yeah. But I had that moment where I went, oh my God, 
I did something right. Like, you know, and we can look at, hey, I had a lot of advantages. My parents gave me a lot of advantages. My grandparents, the communities I grew up in, the, the people that were around me. And a lot of people with a lot of advantages mess it up. They totally mess it up and blow it big time. And for all the times I had messed up, which were quite a few, I still was able to like course correct and still get to where I'm in San Diego. I have the, I'm sitting in a jacuzzi in the morning, looking at palm trees, meditating, meditating creating my life and my day. And I think yeah, when you say, am I successful? Yes. On a, on, you know, if I look at it in that way, um, I know that I was really conditioned from my family and the way I grew up to think of success as money. And uh, a good story is my grandfather was very, very successful. He owned 17 furniture stores across Southern California. And he, and he was miserable doing it. And he couldn't wait to retire. And I idolized my grandfather. And almost my whole life, all I wanted to do was have him be proud of me. And before he passed probably about seven years ago. Um, there were moments over the last seven years where I felt like I'm not, I haven't done enough. I haven't accomplished enough. I'm not successful enough. And it's all measured in money. It's not measured in the fact that I'm about to publish a book or I'm about to have a hundred podcasts created or that I've opened my own practice four years ago and I've made more money every, like none of that matters. <laughs> it's all irrelevant. Until you um, have some furniture stores. Yeah. Don't even talk to me. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is, I said to my mom at some point a few years ago, you know, I feel just sad that he wasn't here to tell me that he was proud of me. And my mom goes, that's crazy because he did tell you. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, there was a day that you spent with him before he passed away. And he shared with you how proud of you he was, how you like follow your own path and you do your own thing. And you, you know, you're not afraid to try different things. And you do a lot of things that he was actually afraid to do. And I didn't remember, like I, it, it didn't fit in my story. So my subconscious, my ego, whatever, just like squashed that down. I didn't remember it. Yeah. And I only know that because she reminded me, cause I guess I had shared it with her. So that is my, I shared with you this morning. I think one of the things I love about beach communities and I never realized it is they almost always start out as overcast and cloudy and gloomy in the morning. Yeah. And that's how I by default, start out in my days. Gloomy. Gloomy, like identified with my coach. We've been doing a lot of work around this, that life is hard and everything is work. Podcasting is work. Clients are work. Book writing is work. Relationships are every Yoga is work. The gym is work. And that's not fun. It's a sucky way to kind of be living my life. Yeah. Um, Makes people hit the snooze bar several times. Yeah, and for whatever reason, I don't. I keep, I guess I got better work ethic than I thought I did. But it's no fun. And I'm like dragging myself around and generating and generating is exhausting. And, it's hard work. Right? And it's like the sun every day has to burn. The sun is probably like, damn San Diego. <laughs> I, every day I got to burn through your clouds so you can have the best weather in the country. And it's kind of feels like that. Like every day I have to do the work to burn through the overcast. And there's something that's really amazing about that, that I'm committed to doing that. And there's a place where I got to start working on shifting the story so that San Diego's not overcast in the morning, that I'm not, everything isn't work and hard, that I can wake up and go, wow, I'm like really happy to be up this morning. This is exciting. What's going to happen today? I noticed the gap that you're focused on the gap yet again there 
let's let's talk though about I think people would be really interested in a in a good morning routine. I know that I'm always sort of shopping, hunting, and listening to Tim Ferriss to try and find you know morning routine sort of hacks. So let's hear about your morning routine. And do you have an evening or a or a sleep hygiene routine as well? Tim Ferriss is like the Home Depot of routines. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Tim Ferriss. Uh, so I, I, I have both. And um, I think the thing that I think is the most important is we have to create our own. Don't copy yours. Don't copy mine. Don't copy Tim Ferriss's. Um, and I think we have to, over time, have to adjust our routine so we don't just become a slave to our routine. It just becomes another habit. So mine, mine has evolved a lot over the years. Uh, currently, I wake up between 4 and about 5.45 a.m., um, because I know that if I don't get some things done right away, first thing, they're not going to get done. Um, it's almost like that my willpower is on in a gas tank and it's depleting as the day goes on. So there's some things that I know that will kick it off in the right direction and give me more power. So meditation. Um, and when I go there, I really like to use some really powerful guided meditations. So there's a guy named David G. Uh, if people look for him, David J I. He, he's written a bunch of books, but he is, he's, he trained at the Chopra Center. He was a guy who was a Wall Street guy who, uh, the story goes, somebody reached out of on 9-11, grabbed his pant leg under a set of boxes, a homeless guy, said, what's going to be on your gravestone? And it woke him up and he went, he found Deepak Chopra. He basically was like, I can help you make money. You teach me what you know. And he ran the Chopra Institute and now he's, he, he's up in Encinitas and he's, he's brilliant. But I go to his website and he provides free meditations on, you know, you pick, you want a love meditation, a, a forgiveness meditation, whatever. And, um, I love, love those. So I use his cause it gets me, it, it kind of guides me a little bit to something that I want. 30 minutes. They're usually about 20 minutes. He has some that are about five, six, seven minutes that you have to find. If I, sometimes if I don't have, if I didn't build in that space, I might just do, I'm sure you've heard of it. The like pattern interrupts, like 17 second breathing. So I'll do that where maybe I'll just lie on my bed. Lie, sometimes I lie on the floor because I won't fall back asleep on the floor, but I might in my bed. And I'll do four seconds breathing in through my nose, pause, hold it four seconds, breathe it out through my nose for four seconds, and do that three or four cycles of that. And basically it just calms the nervous system, gets you out of your head. I do that also a lot in the middle of the day if I feel overwhelmed, stressed, like all of a sudden everything's going to fall apart. Yeah. I might just stop, lie down on the floor and do that. And then, you, you know, when I met you is when I started doing yoga. I thought yoga was a big joke until about five years ago. Wow. And I did it as a practice to get out of my comfort zone. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with uh, how it resembles life in one hour. I get to be with all the aspects of my life and practice the things I don't like about myself, the things I'm not good at, the challenges, the things I do enjoy, seeing growth, but there's never-ending growth. And so I use yoga, I would say probably four or five days a week to really set up my day. And if I don't do that, then sometimes I'll throw in the gym as a – as. I don't feel like the gym is as powerful for me as a morning routine – but what I do to kind of compensate for that is I'll put on somebody like Seth Godin or Tim Ferriss or somebody that I know will pick me up and get them in my head. The other thing I like to do in the mornings is read. So it could be five pages. It could be an hour. But something that actually will get me excited about living for that day. 
um, could be spiritual, could be something like a Tim Ferriss book or a Tony Robbins that that reminds me of who I am and what I'm up to. It sounds like you've got a lot of uh, flexibility and, a, you know, anybody that says I wake up between this time and an hour and 45 minutes later, that's a lot of um, flexibility. I know people and I've read books that say, you know, get up at the same time every day. What has you be so flexible? And when do you start your actual work day or scheduled day um, with that much flexibility? I used to be the person that would have said every day. Yeah. And I found myself like burning. I'd get to Thursday, Friday, or the end of a month, and I'd be like spent. Um, it felt like it was deplete, more depleting, that like such rigorousness. Like there was no room for humanity. Um, so now what I practice is I decide like the night before. But I have a pretty current thing. So on Tuesday mornings, I know I'm at a, a networking group at 630 in the morning. And I know I want to show up there powerfully. So a lot of times I used to say, oh, I'll just wake up and meditate and then I'll go. I didn't like the way I showed up. So now I wake up at four because that's how much time I need that day to do that. So I decide that's decided before, though, not the morning of uh, Tuesdays. Wait, not Tuesdays, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. I typically start. I typically have something at 8 a.m. or 830. So. There's a little more space, so I don't have to do the 4 a.m. I then do either the 5 – I either wake up at like 5.20 or 5.40 based on when that first yoga class is. Gotcha. So it's kind of like the, the important structures there, and then when do I have to get up to make that structure possible? Um, they support each other actually in a little bit. Uh, and then the same thing with the nighttime. Last night I was up late doing the finishing details of the book. And when I mean late, it was later for me. So I might have to adjust the morning slightly because if I'm going to stay up till midnight trying to get this done, maybe waking up at 4 a.m. is not actually in service of what I'm up to. Nice. Let's talk about the book. I know that uh, it's probably the number one thing in your mind these days. So the book is Fictional Authenticity. It's a book that, as I understand it, it sort of is uh, written as an introduction for people who may not have done um, – too much work on themselves, not done therapy, not gone to some sort of a transformational workshop or something in their lives, right? Yeah, I think that's the intention of how I really wrote, how I originally wrote it. As I'm reading it over, it feels like it might not be all that beginner, beginner-like, but I, my hope is that being who I am, as I, I don't think I fit into the cookie cutter, coach, transformational, like, box, that there's an access to people who find coaching, spirituality, these things a little too woo-woo, and people that feel like maybe they're not ready for, oh my God, Tony Robbins is like too intense or too much or... Or too cliche. Maybe. Yeah. As I'm... I think one of the things that I love about myself and my transformation is I didn't lose a lot of the pieces about myself that I loved. I, I kept them. And expanded all these other pieces that didn't exist. So my hope is that people that are turned off by a lot of the other places, I think Jen Sincero did that with You Are a Badass. Mm -hmm. Just that cover and that the bright yellow and You Are a Badass had people that never would read a True. personal development book go, ooh, what is this? True, including my wife, by the way. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's my hope with this is another dynamic of that. But it is. It shares my journey and we don't want to get into that because we don't want to talk about origin Thank stories. You. But it shares my my journey of where I was and the work I had to do. 
and really like, what did I do? What are the practices? And then I ask people to look for themselves as we go through and see what they notice and what they can become aware of through seeing, you know, they're looking through at their life through my examples. I love that. Uh, I'm rereading uh, Body Mind Mastery by Dan Millman, and I'm reminded, oh, yeah, there are exercises in here, but it's not like, okay, you know, go, uh, you know, do this like half hour thing, right? It's just something you can do in the moment while you're reading the book, and that's what your book provides, right? Yeah, there are some areas where you can do more, but most of it is, let's say I'm talking about, there's, I was, I was going through the chapter on trust and faith, which also ties a lot into divinity and, and whatnot. And I share in there how that if you had met me five or six years ago and you asked me about God, I would have laughed in your face and told you you were stupid. Um, and that that's so far from who I am today. I have an com- amazing relationship with spirituality and God and, and believe. And that was seven-year-old Alex running that show and having that conversation. And in that, in like in that chapter, I ask people right there on the spot, hey, where did you where did your stories about religion come from? And it's not a go fill out a worksheet or come back in three days. It's just a, what do you notice? Is it a seven-year-old conversation? Did you get it from your mom, from your dad, from your church, wherever? Do you actually believe it? Did you choose to believe that this is the way it is? Or did you just take on whatever was given to you? Mm-hmm. What's the answer for you? Well, my, my, that seven-year-old story was because the first, so my, my mom is Jewish and my dad is Catholic and my dad didn't like being raised Catholic. He thought it was too regimented and too, like too much punishment. And so when he met my mom, he was like, whatever you want. And just kind of went along with her. And I felt like I was forced, like at seven years old, I had no say. Right. That you're going to do this because we say so. Yeah. And at seven years old, I said, I don't, I don't believe in God. I didn't want to do this. I was pretty vocal. And I, it, when I look back, I don't want to call it quote unquote trauma because I don't feel like it's trauma, but I think it's the first moment that I felt unheard and unseen. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> sorry. Keep going. Uh, I felt unheard and I had to do work to see this. I didn't see this. And so that there was a huge aspect of my life that was like, no, I'm going to be heard and seen and I'm going to rebel and push back. And it was like that little kid. And so my relationship to religion as an adult was like, screw this, basically. You can't make me. Yeah. And I never got to actually choose or create something as an adult. And I only figured this out while going through accomplishment coaching when one of my teammates said to me, how old is this conversation? And it was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Seven. Yeah. Uh, Why? Why do you ask? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I just repeated it back. How old is this conversation? She's like, <laughs> <laughs> what? I love that. Um, so, what is it today? Are you, are you have you joined the temple, the Catholic faith? Where are you? So, uh, I am not. I'm not religious. I, I see. I think one of the things that I got really clear on is religion is what man did with God, and spirituality is man, man or woman's relationship to God. Now we're getting into something that I hate. Okay. I hate people who say I'm spiritual but not religious, and that's what you're about to say, isn't it? I wasn't going to say that, but I I may say that. We're going to throw down right now. That's what's going to happen. So it's it fe- they feel they feel similar but separate. That one religion there's organization, there's structure, there's hierarchy, there's rules, there's these things where spirituality is simply your to me is your connection to the divine and you get to make and you get to co-create it with something bigger whereas if you are part of a religion there's you got to do this and you do this and different religions have different things, but it, it always 
it ruffles my feathers a little when people say they belong to a religion and then do everything opposed to what. Yes, I'm familiar. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I don't understand. It's like belonging to the gym and never going. Just don't belong to the gym. I don't understand. Stop talking about my life. So, um, uh, but so you're spiritual, not religious. Now, here's why I don't like it, because this is where society breaks down. Okay. Right? Like, we all have basic agreements when we go out on the road, right? Mm-hmm. Red means whatever it means. Stop. Yes. Um, and we all, and so if it's red, we stop. Otherwise, society breaks down, right? So for me, having uh, literally billions of people say I'm spiritual but not religious, then what do we do? We start banding together with our spiritual but not religious groups, and then we got to have you know some basic rules like who talks and what do we, when do we meet and that sort of thing, and then we're building religion. So what if we remade religion into what works for us? What I'm getting is that people are rebelling against the structures of religion. You too, right? Yeah, but I... I am not doing that. I'm not co I'm not forming prayer circles with other spiritual people. This is to me why, it's why just not? my cuz I'm on I'm not actually interested in that. I I don't this <laughs> is a deeply individual experience. I don't actually care what anyone else believes in like their divinity wise. Like that to, to me it is a absolutely personal and not personal like I won't share it, but it doesn't have to it's it's a connection with something larger that I don't need anyone else to be involved in. I can, I can, I can, if somebody's doing something that I find interesting, I can go get involved in it. Just like I've been able to, because of this new place, go to church with my girlfriend and not have an issue with the religious aspect that's there. Which is really the, for you, the hypocrisy that's there. Yeah. But I'm also able to now create and generate value inside of it because of the breakthroughs I have. I can see that when I get there and I get triggered, that's the seven-year-old voice. And one of the things that I found is a really, to me, a really good religious service is a text, is a TED talk based on whatever their faith is. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that people should do that. That's what I felt like when I go to a religious service that's mm-hmm. based in, and I feel like, wow, I got a ton of value today. It was the person giving, creating whatever they were talking about, use their, you know, their Bible, their Torah, whatever their, and they created a message that applies to us today using the information from there. And it's, to me, that's kind of like what a TED talk is. Did I lose you? No, I'm relating it back to what you said previously about origin stories. I'm hearing the echo of what you want is you want to connect to the truth. You want to connect to the authenticity, the piece that's real for you. Yeah. And you can hear that and you can hear it in a TED talk. You can hear it in a, in a homeless person on the, on the street. You can hear it in a religious service if you're listening for it. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that you can hear it anywhere. And a lot of, maybe that's, and look, this applies to spirituality, right? I'm not a fan of some, some of the, some of, I don't want to, I don't want to offend anyone. And I might, yeah. I'm like, (laughs) sometimes I see this a lot with men that when they do transformational work, they somehow make their masculinity wrong and it like vanishes and then next thing you know, they're out in the wilderness painting like paint on their face, banging their chests, howling at the moon, try, Dita, right, yeah. trying to refine, trying to regenerate their masculinity. It's there. It's never went anywhere. It's not in the moon. It's not in the wolves. It's always been right there. You just made it wrong and made it go away. And I think we do that like with like spiritual bypassing. We do that with there's I think um, we see it maybe with women with 
prayer circles or, or tarot cards where all of a sudden we've we're we're like it's like this magical thing where we're losing like we become at effect to the spirituality or the religion instead of actually authentically creating what we want. What I'm looking at is masculinity. You're one of the most masculine dudes I know, and yet you don't trade on it. In other words, there's not, you're uh, well-built, you're manly, you're clearly bold and, and can be fiercely committed, you're opinionated and strong. But I noticed that you don't do the, the male competitive thing. Like you ever met that guy, you know, when you shake hands and they try and break your hand, right? Yeah. That competitive thing. And we see it a lot where, you know, in typical male environments, right? Sports and uh, sports areas, gyms, places like that. Yeah. And sometimes in the in the uh, networking and things that we go to, right, as coaches, there's always the, hi, <laughs> guy, right? What's, what is it for you? How do you relate to your own masculinity? How do you get it? How do you avoid, really, is my question, that competitive aspect of your masculinity? Ooh. Well, pre-transformation, I don't think I was ever the shake your hand as hard as it, that. Just seemed like a whole lot of work. <laughs> it seemed like a lot of performance <laughs> all the time. But I'm hearing a lot of laziness is driving you. But I, but I did do it in the way that I think it showed up for me was well, it did show up when I was younger in sports. Like I wanted to be the best, and then when that that almost shifted out of sports and into like women uh or my relationship to, I used to open restaurants and bars like who I like my persona maybe behind the bar was probably that like kind of wounded masculine or uh like compensating masculine mm -hmm. my relationship to women alcohol uh sports like I knew I went to USC and after I graduated I don't think da, I missed da, 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 I don't think I missed a USC da, 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 football da, 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 game for like wow. 10 years if they lost, I would, it was like I lost. And I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what I used the- Unless you went all, to UCLA. Yeah, it was all a distraction. So the, the like competitive drinking, like, oh, I, that was a way that I could like be masking. Like, look how much tequila I can drink. And I'm still walking around perfectly fine and people don't even, you don't even realize how drunk I am. Uh, the- competitiveness or the stories to get attract and win the game when it came to women the you know the car that you know that i drove um i think all those things and the sports like how much i knew about sports the the knowledge the the acting like you were like on the field like you might as well have been the coach but you're sitting in a bar watching it on a tv right I think when I looked, when I started to transform and I looked at all those things, I went, oh my God, there's nothing wrong with any of this. If you want to be a great drinker, go be a great drinker. But for me, it was all a mask. It was all, it was all a, a, like a setup to hide who I really was and what I wanted to really be up to. What were you hiding? I think I, the not good enough, uh, feeling like if I actually did things that I wanted to be doing, I would always just let people down. I didn't have to let anybody down in drinking. <laughs> I didn't have to let anybody down in the the chasing of women. There was nobody to let down in knowing everything about sports or or being like the best USC fan. But if I actually was like, I want to write a book or I want to make a documentary or create my own business, there's a lot of people to let down. 
there's a lot of vulnerability that's going to be at stake. It's kind of like, who am I really? And am I really capable of this? So I don't, and I don't, we asked about like the, how do I do it now? I don't, I think it's just there. Just like I, I embrace, if you're a man and you don't embrace the feminine, you're doing the same thing. It's the opposite side of the coin, right? Like the, the guys who are like, women are trying to crush us and take our power. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, they're not. They're adding to though. Everything will be better. And I think like I'm, I embrace, that's what I got through transformation was not about was not about getting rid of my masculine, but was about bringing the feminine, my feminine energy in the love, the compassion, the connection, the, you know, maybe like the listening, um, though bringing those things in, it almost like just balanced the teeter totter. Hmm. I'm also hearing in your speaking and maybe I'm making this up or adding too much, but it sounds like your fan boy <laughs> is that you're a fan of authenticity. You're a fan of people being truly and uniquely them. And does that extend to uh, gender roles? In other words, are you a fan of people living their non-binary or uh, gender fluid or gender alternative lives? Yeah, I could really, <laughs> I, I say often, like, I don't care what anyone else does with as long as they're not actually hurting another living human being. So if you want Against to... that person's will. Or yeah, wishes, like, look, yeah. if you, this is going to be, if you want to identify as a parakeet, by all means. I mean, you can't live on the tree in my backyard, <laughs> but you know, if you want to, I guess if you want to rent space, but yeah, like I don't, you know, and I, I think that's one of the things I don't understand. Like if we look at gender, gender identities or marriage things, like what do I care? Like how does, you know, two men marrying each other, two women marrying each other, or two, even when people are like, well, what if animals get married? Who cares? <laughs> what if my dog marries the next door neighbor's dog? Why does it matter? My dog would never have the next door neighbor's dog. I think that it's so like, it's, there's so much fear, like it's all fear-based. What are you so afraid of if your two neighbors get married or your dogs or your neighbor wants to marry the dog? Now we do have to have guidelines because I don't think we should be doing things that married people do with our animals. <laughs> and I think that's where the slope gets slippery, right? Like, how do we... I argue with my dog. You know, because that, that's the argument on the other side, and I think that's the part where we do have to respect and put down our righteousness. Like, if you are a very religious person, you have religious beliefs that say something different about... And I think one of the issues we get into is we we make them wrong, and they make... We people that are that want to marry same sex make them wrong for believing what they believe, and they make them the people the same sex people wrong, which creates no possibility, just a lot of finger pointing. Yeah. So I think that that's the biggest challenge we as a human beings is how do we have the freedom to say, hey, I want you to be able to do whatever you want, and there's some things that we do have to have some like. We're, most of us are probably okay with like we can't do certain things with our animals. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do certain things in public, right? They sure. can't do, yeah. yeah. So uh, what I'm hearing is that sort of the higher good as well as the individual freedom, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, how does everybody win? Like that's the how does the you know how does the the very religious person that really really believes they're not it's they really really believe what they believe they have just the ultimate faith. And the person who wants to do the thing that's on the other side of that, how do, how do, how do we live in a world where everybody gets to win? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. If I did, I'd probably be on Tim Ferriss's podcast.
I'm not sure, but I think you insulted me. <laughs> the uh, the thing that you just said reminded me I was driving with my now 12-year-old daughter, and pray for me, uh, She yesterday, and I said, listen, look at this guy driving. And I showed somebody who was driving in a very aggressive fashion. And I said, and now look at how we're driving. I said, you're going to have to decide, and think about this when you're driving because it's many years in the future, but you're going to have to decide what your game is. Is your game me first, in which case you're going to drive like that guy and potentially cause trouble and accidents for other people, or you're going to drive, you're going to decide that this is a everybody gets home safe game, in which case you're going to make lots of room and, you know, not go as fast or as aggressively. And she said, why didn't, why doesn't everybody play? Let's all get home safely. You want to answer that? Well, she's a kid, so it's perfect that she would say the thing that makes the most sense. Uh, I mean, fear, I would, I don't, I don't know any other explanation is the person. I mean, if I look at my life and I bet it listeners like look at yours when I drive fast and I don't mean fast, like I'm on a long open road and there's right. no one around and I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to roll down all the windows. And, but regular typical everyday driving when I drive fast, it's typically because I'm afraid I'm going to be late. Uh, you know, I'm, I mess something up, like, but it's, there's a, usually it's being generated by fear when I'm just driving the way you said, where, Hey, I don't want to get an accident. I don't want anyone to hit me. I just want to get where we're going safely. Mm -hmm. There's no fear in the space. I wouldn't, I don't, I don't want to say like there's love in the space cause I'm not even coming from that place, but there's no fear. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. And arguably in the absence of fear, naturally what occurs is affinity or love. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the book. You are a man who has devoted a lot of time, energy, and focus recently on creating this book, Fictional Authenticity. What do you want people to know about the process? Oh, man. Well, this took four years. I think that's important because I... feels like you did in the last few weeks. You've been really focused. Yeah, I didn't... If you asked me when I started about four years ago, I didn't... I thought it would take like a year. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> I think, and I think we do that a lot. We say we're going to do things and we totally underestimate what it's going to take, or we don't create that crazy action that it would have taken to done it, do it in a year. Yeah, it's possible right. to write a book in a year, right? Eight drafts, totally possible, but it's going to take something way different than what I was giving it. So I think that's first is real, like look at if I if I could look at what I learned is hey, like try to be more realistic with myself in terms of either what I'm saying I'm going to do something by or what the commitment to get it done by is. The biggest thing that I think I learned is this book really came together through partnership. And that's the coolest part is this book wouldn't exist if it weren't for so many different humans. And writing a book is like a, you think it's like, oh, I'm going to go off and right. rent a cabin and sit in there. Solo and Solo adventure, right. And the book started because, let's say, in a conjunction of me, accomplishment coaching, and my first coach, like the th that partnership. Mm -hmm. And then... I did a lot of writing and then the book stopped and then it became a partnership of my next coach and me really creating structures to get me back into it. It's crazy. You have something that you love that you want to do and you're not doing it. I love to write. Why was I not writing every day? Well, fear. It was like all fear stuff, right? Who's going to read this? Who cares? I have to get clients. I don't have time to write. So that partnership created the second round. And then at one point I actually had an, I, I got an assistant whose job was solely to basically read that whole first draft. 
And that partnership, I wrote the whole second draft completely different because of the notes she gave me. She had one massive note that made made it so I had to change the whole book. And I thought it was brilliant. What was that? The original version of the book, I told my story first. Right. It was like the first third of the book was my story. The second, the last two thirds were like the, how do you do it? And she went, I don't like this. It's weird. It feels like two different books. You should layer you all the way through. Which meant I was actually up in a, my aunt and uncle's house in Ashland, Oregon by myself. And I laid the whole book out. Like all over the floor, the table of contents, and had to restructure, reorganize. But I avoided that for months. And then the next renditions partnership between a couple of readers, some friends, my mom. You know, my mom has been reading my work since I was a kid, and she's just an ex, she used to be a teacher. She's an excellent writer and editor. And I mean, no one gives me notes. Like she hands me paper and there's writing, there's no white space left on the paper. <laughs> and, I, but I had other readers too and the partnership between them and actually being with what they gave. I used to make myself wrong for it. Oh, this means I suck. They wrote a whole bunch of stuff. I suck. Or this is going to be too much work. Maybe I just shouldn't do this anymore. And then the, the final piece is the partnership between I I was looking for an editor and I started shopping this out to like a lot of different people and people came back with these lots of lots of numbers and dollar signs and I got really scared and didn't know what to do and it seemed crazy like how much I would spend to have somebody do this and then a really good friend who used to be in publishing read the couple I think like the first six chapters and said I want to do this with you and I went like for money like how much mm-hmm. do I have to pay right. you and she was like, no, I'm like inspired. I want to like partner with you on this and and get this thing done. And this was, so it took, let's say three and a half years to get to, to this point. And then her and I have basically churned out another like three drafts, three or four drafts in like four months. We just created like a super rigorous schedule. We held each other to it. And we pushed and we gave each other some space to be human. And we just pushed and pushed and pushed. And she's really become like my partner. She's she's the editor of the book, but she's my partner on the book. I mean, everything that now happens, I had this thought about changing the subtitle this morning, just like adding a word to it. And I'm texting her, asking her. I don't have to do that. Right. But I want and the book wouldn't exist if it wasn't for her. So that's been the the biggest gift. And this book is only possible because of all these other humans. Nice work. What do you want people to know who are out there writing them themselves? Anything else? Yeah, don't hide. <laughs> uh, if look, if you can go and find, you know, get a, a log cabin and mm-hmm. churn out six edits or six versions and and cram a great book, good for you. I think that if you're, I think if you're not, if you don't have the experience, if you haven't written a bunch of books and done all these things it would probably serve you to get really supported and create a lot of connection and support while you're doing it. So that might mean just talking to somebody like me and being like, Hey, can you tell me the process? Like what did, so look, that might shave off two years (laughs) off your time. Another would be like, what do you actually, what's the goal that you want? So I want to be a published author many times over. This isn't about one book so I can go get like speaking gigs or something. This is the first of, the next nine or 10. And I think that we don't ask ourselves that. So people are, one of our mutual friends wrote a book and his thing was he's, he wrote it to get speaking gigs. He wants something. 
So who he would be about writing that book, I think is very different than somebody like me who wants to be a writer and continuously write and write and write. And I think same thing we could say that about launching podcasts or anything else. Like what's the intention of the mm -hmm. thing you're trying to create? And if you get clear on that, that can help us get, that can help you decide the path to get there. Have you started writing the next one? I have. The, I, and I'm, I want the next one to be done different. I want to, I want someone, I want to, I want to public, like I want the next one to be in airports. It feels like an airport kind of book. So I wrote, I've written the first 25 pages. I've written a really detailed outline and I'm at that, I'm, I stopped to wrap this one up, but it's at that moment where I have to decide, do I start sending it out? Like to try to get publishers or do I write the whole book and kind of just do what I did and just kind of never depend on, never depend on like the man to make this happen and find ways to do it in partnership. So nice. I would say what it's called, but I don't know if that type of language is allowed on this show. Well, have you protected it? You know, I don't worry about it. that's a fear thing. You know, you can't so I, I, you can't actually protect titles anyway unless they're a series. All right, well then tell me and I'll steal it. It's called Fuck Happiness, <laughs> and it's uh, it's all I don't about know why that baby laugh. It's all about the that happiness is an illusion, that it's a marketed illusion, that we're chasing something that isn't real, and ultimately the chase leaves us more unhappy. That makes me sad. <laughs> it's actually not a sad book. It's a really funny, happy, but. What uh, do you have a personal credo, motto, or guide for your life? Something that you keep keep going. It's, it's, it's tattooed on my arm. Uh, so are a bunch of other things. Yeah, there you go. I, I I actually tattooed on my arm a lot of the, the things about things about me that I don't want to forget that who I am. So when I do forget, I can look at them and right. I see them often. But keep going is my is my like, creator motto because if as long as you don't stop, you can't fail. Nice. Uh, tell me what else you got, because I uh, my trainer recently, I was trying to read, you know, those surreptitious looks that you give somebody to try and read their tattoos. He's got <laughs> tattoos all over his arms. And I'm like, I, can you hold still so I could surreptitiously read your tattoos? And he said, you know, people never ask. He said, if, if I <laughs> didn't want people to see them, I wouldn't have put them on my arms and then worn a short sleeve shirt. Right. He's like, yeah. yes, ask, read. You know, I will hold still so that you can read. Um, what do you got? So I have my essence, which is uh, who... I really am at the core, which warrior play, heart, and light. Uh, I have an ohm. The ohm is, is you know, the idea. To, to me, what the ohm represents is, like, is home, that peaceful, tranquil place. And then keep going is kind of my way to get there, and that's the motto. And then above it, I have, you know, Michael Bernard Beckwith, I know you know this, has the infinity triangle. Right. Right. Uh, I had an experience where... I saw my own version of that in a meditation, which was lo love, joy, and spirit. We are, we have, if we can fall in love with ourselves, we can have joy with others and then we can connect. And so that was kind of my reminder. And well, then it's incorrect. You're going to have to change. That. <laughs> uh, so I have that. And then, yeah, I have some, but all, it's, it, I think the interesting thing about my tattoos, if anything, is they're very prophetic. Did I say that word right? Prophetic? Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I started tattooing words and language on my body when I was like eighteen or nineteen in prison. And, yeah, no, yeah, and I was a very, very, very different person. But they all actually fit into the life I'm living now. So uh, one of my first tattoos says "Life is on your side." Uh, one says "Endure and prevail." Um, limits, limits like fears are often an illusion. There's all these things. There's a, a yeah, so there's all these things that then I thought were like 
like I don't know, there was something about them that I liked, but now they actually fit into the life that I live, which is kind of cool. That's amazing. Yeah, all except for uh, yeah, the those heart. women's names that you put. Yeah, right. The heart that says Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we were going to talk about that. Um, it's been really great talking to you. Thanks. <laughs> the, sorry to sound surprised. The uh, the podcast is the Dream Mason podcast. You can find out all about Alex and his work and all the places on the Insta and the YouTubes and the everything by going to thedreammason.com, thedreammason.com. The book is Fictional Authenticity, available on wherever on Amazon, wherever fine uh, books are available. When will it be available? So by the end, for on Amazon by the end of this month. So I don't know when this episode will, yeah. So uh, let's say October 1st, you'll be able to get it on Amazon. Um, It's an extraordinary piece of work. You're an extraordinary piece of work. What would you like to leave our, (laughs) are you you feeling complete with our time together? Is there something you wanted to get into that we haven't? No, um, no, I don't think so. That was, that was, I didn't, I definitely didn't do my greatest hits. So yeah, we talked about a lot of different things. I appreciate that you went with me and didn't like try and, you know, (laughs) T.R. Becker me where everything goes back to the message. (laughs) That was great. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else. I think, I mean, if I, if I had to leave it with one thing, it's that, you know, we, one of my biggest breakthroughs over the last year is that I have to do, like, I have to do this my way. And I don't mean my way from default or automatic, but like I have to stay authentic. So, you know, when I'm going to use this because, you know, when we talk about it, you know, when somebody says to me, you know, you're a professional coach, you should wear suits and you should do it this way. There's not, that's great advice and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not my way. And I think we have to be willing to, so whatever you're up to, whatever you're doing, I think you have to be willing to look at, uh, at being open to what people say is the right way, maybe even try it out and then also be authentic to like what your heart says is the right way and then trust in that. So beautiful. Those are the prophetic and wise words of Alex Terranova. Once again, you can find him and all of his work at thedreammason.com. Check out the Dream Mason podcast as well as Inspirational Alex on the Instagram. Not an influencer yet. Uh, Also, uh, uh, you can email him at alex at thedreammason.com. I thank you, dear listener. That's another edition of The Coaching Show. Uh, In the can, so to speak, we will be back with you uh, next week, as every week, with people out on the cutting edge doing something interesting or just plain wacky in the world of coaching. I thank you very much for listening here on accomplishmentmedia.com or wherever fine podcasts are available. We will talk to you next week.